Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radner. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Hera. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. Jack, how are you? Not too bad. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Absolutely appreciate you having me. I, I'm out. I'm summoned to the garage here today, so it looks <laughs> nice. You, you got your mic. You got your setup going. It's only- you go, well, I had a really nice studio in here, kind of thing. But then I had my backdrop was kind of like a false backdrop. I had like an angel's logo and all that stuff. But I had to take it down because they were using it for something. And then I never put it back. <laughs> down, so. It's go. all about the backdrop. My, my buddy had like a Marvel poster in the background. I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to put my booze. <laughs> there you went to represent. There you go. Yep, Good yep. deal. So you Good just deal. got off, uh, what were you doing, like the hot stove show? Or Yeah, I was taping an interview for the hot stove show. We had uh, Mickey Calloway pitching. Oh, coach. nice. Um, yeah. Calloway guy, at least when he was with the Mets, you know? He's a, you know, he's a bright guy. Is he? He's a bright guy, yeah. And we, uh, I, I, he's, he's kind of got like this, this southern good old boy sense about him, uh, but he's very high IQ. Um, oh yeah, so, I thought he was a steal when they grabbed him as the pitching coach. And teaming yeah. him with Joe Madden, too, I think, I think that's a good match. Joe's got a good staff, man. He's, I mean, we just got to, I, I think that had last year been a full season, I think it's a much different story, but that's a, that's a good staff. And they just, they just, they, they need like even one more starter would, what might be enough, but they, they need some help. Oh yeah, I know. I, I, I was convinced I'm a Yankee fan and I, I okay. didn't say this, like, I was convinced that the angels were going to nab Cole just because he yeah. is a so cowboy and it would have yeah. made a ton of sense. And the angels were willing to throw the money at him. It's just Brian yeah. Cashman's got bigger pockets at the end of the day. I mean, that, that's a, like, already has got some pretty deep pockets, but man, like that became you know, Yankee money, just three things, what three and a quarter, just 
you know, I went to high school with Garrett. Yeah. So I've known, I've known him, I've known him for a long time. Did you, good play, did you play in high school? No, I stunk. I was, I was, the, <laughs> I was a broadcaster from the time I was like a sophomore. I was going to say, like, it's probably a very competitive team when you guys show up at tryouts and you got Garrett Cole as the ace of that staff. So, so Garrett Cole is the ace of that staff. There's another guy. I don't know if you know the name, Brandon Maurer. He pitched a little yep. bit with Seattle, just had a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Chad Wallach, um, the Marlins catcher, who is son of Tim Wallach. Chad was there as a freshman, uh, and then he ended up going to Jay Sarah. But that freshman year, I mean, it was Garrett Cole pitching to Chad Wallach. I mean, that was... I mean, that was just insane. So, oh my God, yeah. you got to be thinking yeah. to yourself, like, what am I doing wrong? Because I've had, I've had a few conversations with some people, like looking at you know some of the young talent in the pros mm-hmm. today, like Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, oh, it's crazy that he's doing all of this at 21 years old, and I think like he's 21, I'm 22. He's not <laughs> old. I'm older than Fernando yeah. Tatis Jr. Like, what the hell did I do wrong? You know? For sure. Well, no, I mean, like. You know, I wasn't very good. I probably wasn't going to play high school baseball anyway. But, like, freshman tryouts, I don't know that these guys are going to be major leaguers. I just think that that's how everybody is. So I'm looking around going, like, man, everybody is so good. Like, I, I wasn't even I wasn't even close. I, I didn't even try out. I just I knew how good these guys were. I was like, I mean, I'm not going to try. Um, I was so far away. But it was, uh, that, was, that was a crazy, uh, crazy kind of competitive environment for sure. I mean, kudos to you for kind of figuring out, out that young, because I feel like at least for kids I grew up with, they're still mm-hmm. clamoring to like try and make it to the pros or like try and, you know, yeah. get try out with a minor league club. It's like, well, like, me and my buddies are always like, like, like really this guy thinks he's going to be a big leaguer. Come on everyone. And then it's like, well, well, no, like there's a, you know, a bunch of guys, there were a couple other guys who were from the big leagues uh, that got there too. Just, just had a cup of coffee or whatever up there, but yeah, it just, uh, it's wild. It's wild. So you, and I guess just to like get into it as, mm-hmm. you know, a young aspiring broadcaster, you knew that's what you wanted to do right out of the get go. Like grew up a huge sports fan, especially baseball in uh, the Southern California area. And you just, you know, like you said, you knew you weren't really talented enough to, you know, at least try out for the high school team. So you always knew that you wanted to be in sports media. Yeah. I mean, I knew I, I was the only, I, I played football. I was the only linebacker in history that couldn't tackle. So that made my career go really short. Um, and, and that was one of those things where, you know, I, I broadcasting clearly was something that I wanted to get into right away. Even from the time I was a little kid, I like to pretend, you know, I grew up a huge Regis Philbin fan. So I would go yeah. and I got a karaoke machine and I would go interview my grandparents and my great grandma. And, and I was always trying to host talk shows and doing that kind of thing. So from the time I was like five, six years old, I knew that being in media, doing something like that was, was of heavy interest to me. And my other love, my first love was sports. And when I found out that there's such a thing as having a career where you can be in sports and be an entertainer and be a host and do that kind of thing, I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to find a way to make this happen. So I grew up listening to Chick Hearn every single night. I watched, I watched the Laker games more to listen to Chick than I did to watch Shaq and Kobe. That's who I was growing up, uh, listening to, to Laker games all the time. And you go in the playoffs, and I turned the national volume down because I wanted to hear Chick's call on the radio. Uh, we did that all the time. And uh, just kind of growing up in this area, so many great broadcast voices, uh, you know, uh, you, you talk about, you know, Bob Miller with the Kings. I wasn't a huge hockey guy, but you know how special he is. And, and obviously Vin Scully, who probably to some extent I took for granted a little bit because um, I, I wasn't a huge Dodgers fan, but Vin was there and I listened to Vin and he, he was great. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really get a true appreciation for Vin until I was probably in high school, college, really listening to 
this guy is just a remarkable storyteller. And, and I've kind of always been into it uh, from there. I mean, I was the same way. I grew up in Northern New Jersey. So I, again, a Yankee fan, Yes Network, Michael Kay. Like I, I tuned in to listen to him more than it was, you know, watching those early 2000s teams with the likes of Bobby Abreu, A-Rod, Jeter, Damon, whatever. I, I was watching Michael Kay. I was listening to John Sterling on the radio. Same thing with on the other side with SNY at Gary Cohen, uh, Keith yeah. Hernandez, Ron Darling, some of the, like, the best trios in uh, baseball broadcasting. So for you starting out early on, were you like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Um, This is going to be a dream come true when I finally get here. And then you realize how much work is actually, you know, put in to broadcasting and reporting and podcasting and everything that goes behind it. Yeah, it's a ton of work, but it's a work that I love. And I, I mean, I think about, you know, real work. I feel like I work harder and I'm trying to you know, landscape my yard and mow the lawn and, and, you know, paint the house and and do those kind of things. That's work. Talking baseball or any sport, that's fun. I mean, that's what I'd want to do anyways. So that was always the beauty of it for me to get the opportunities to do that kind of thing. But it also, I was, I look back at how lucky I was to grow up in a situation where I didn't have to work a job that paid when I was 16, 17 years old. I mean, growing up, um, everybody else, you know, they had their extracurriculars. My extracurricular was broadcasting, and it meant doing the games. I was 16 years old doing my first high school football game, and I went to Orange Lutheran High School, a very high-powered program, and the games were actually on the radio. And I got a chance to, to be the analyst for the game as I was a sophomore. And I'll never forget, you know, kind of hearing, Hey, now just try to keep in mind, less is more. I didn't really understand what that meant because that first quarter, I didn't say a single word. And then it, the play by play guy was like, okay, Trent, you got to give me something here. Um, so I kind of picked up some things uh, from there and, and it really evolved into seeing an opportunity to create a lot of my own avenues. I I didn't know a soul in broadcasting. I I didn't know a soul in sports uh, before all of this, but I understood it was a who's you know business. So I made it my mission to get to know everybody and I had to create a lot of my own opportunities. When I started what is called the Lancers, was called the Lancer Sports Network. Basically, it was like a, a it was the very beginning of live streaming, um, and YouTube was just starting to take off. And we got an old football camera, and I went down to Best Buy, and, and one of the assistant coaches bought me a microphone, and we just started sticking that camera in people's faces and doing YouTube videos, and it evolved into being you know, reporting and it led to job opportunities. And, you know, I got a chance to go to Chapman university. It was incredible, but I also did a lot of work for free. And that's when I was saying, I was feeling very lucky when I look back on that because, you know, I can't tell you how many games I did for nothing. Um, And I probably did even more games for like $50. I I mean, I didn't get a real paycheck probably till I'm like six, seven years into doing this. I mean, I did a lot for very, very little. And I hope that's not the way it has to be for everybody moving forward. That's how it was for me, but I got a lot better because of it. And I was hungry and it just kind of shows you um, how much I just, I love to do this and don't tell anybody, but I'd do it all for free right now. If I didn't, if my, if my, if I didn't have to take care of my family here, I would do it all for free because it's, it's the, it's the best. I mean, it's all about the passion. It's awesome that you got that opportunity right out of high school, being you know at a big school that covered 
athletics. And, you know, the other thing that you kind of mentioned there was creating your own opportunities, going out of your way to build those uh, relationships and the networking aspect of it. Because there's a lot of kids today that are like, man, I really don't know how to break into the industry. It's like, well, if you don't have opportunities at, at hand right now, create your own opportunities. And I feel like a lot of, or at least some kids just don't have like that initial instinct to think like, okay, uh, you just got to like take some things sometimes and create your own stuff. And that's how you're going to be able to do it, especially in 2021 when uh, you're able to create content that, you know, snap your fingers. Yeah. And that was never something I was like consciously aware of. Uh, For me, it was, okay, well, I want to do this, and I don't know that anyone's going to pay for it, but I, I want to do it, so I would just make it happen. And this was before podcasting yeah. uh, or any of that. And then even down to, you know, kind of what I do for the Angels, I got hired to, to work basically just slightly above minimum wage for a part-time deal. I was working like four hours a day to do updates. And it was a situation where I, I just kind of wanted to get my foot in the door and give a, a, you know, get a taste of it. And I've been able to see my career grow with the company. Now, I give credit, a, a lot of credit to the Angels and the, the, the you know, opportunities that they have given me to be able to grow and do different things. But, you know, my job title now is probably, I think it's, I have the same title today as I had when I first started, but my job description could not be any more different just for what I've done. And I've gotten to do, you know, little things here and there, and it's evolved into being able to, to have something that is a career. And I feel incredibly lucky for that. But I also think that like, you know, for for students maybe that are coming out of college and trying to figure out what to do. You know, I had one student tell me recently that, Hey, I want to do what you do. And I'm like, well, there is not, there's not a job for what I do. You just, I have accumulated different opportunities and carved out a path of things that I like to do. I like to do play-by-play. So I I do UC Irvine basketball and I do some games for ESPN three and I've I've done a handful of games for Fox sports West. I'm a play-by-play guy at heart. That's what I want to do, but there's not a play-by-play job for me at this moment. That's going to get me a paycheck every two weeks. So I do sports updates and I host pre and post games shows. I never knew I was a radio guy until I got my job with the angels. And even then that was, that's the, this is the only radio job I've ever had in my life. And I've gotten so much better at doing TV stuff because of it. You learn how to talk, you learn how to formulate opinions and you learn how um, just to, to speak more eloquently and in a way that's relatable. Radio is so personable oh, yeah. that I, and, and personal then I've been able to learn a lot because of that. So yeah, I've had like no formal training in radio. I've always been a television guy, but I was able to kind of realize after I took the job that, Hey, maybe radio can make me better for TV. And that's how I kind of feel about it now. And it's got to be refreshing too, you know, wearing all of these different hats, being, you know, a reporter working on radio, working on TV as play by play, because at the end of the day, I, I feel like it doesn't really matter. Like if you are, you know, doing the one thing that you love more than anything in the world, you could still, you know, get burnt out after a long time, you know, 162 game season for the angels. That's a lot of baseball, you know? Yeah. And, and versatility works on a couple of different levels. I think one, if you are wanting to go into this business, you have to be able to do a lot of different things to get opportunities. So yes, being versatile makes you a more desirable job candidate. But on top of that, I think also being versatile, allows you to have more fun and keep things from becoming mundane. I I think that's the one thing about baseball in particular. I love the grind of 162 game season. It is a grind. There's no question, but there is something that's a little different about it every single day. And that's part of the fun in this. Sometimes you have to look for it a lot harder 
uh, than other days. But that's what's fun about it. But I had a chance. It was March of 2019. And I would have done this again in, actually, no, it was 2020. March of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. I got, I, I did spring training baseball simulcast TV and radio. I did a TV hit for MLB Network. I did radio for UC Irvine. I did a TV play-by-play for ESPN3. Uh, and I hosted a podcast and did pre- and post-game talk radio in the same week. And that, that's not to toot my own horn. What that is to say is versatility is how I'm able to make kind of all of this work. If I could only do one or two of those things, I wouldn't get the chance to do any of them. And that's something that I, I've learned through this. And, and I would encourage anybody that's trying to make their way in this business to be able to do everything because the more you can do, the more desirable you are. And for me, it's more fun. I don't know. Oh yeah. And you could see it right now. You're wearing your, your, your mic and then you also got your podcast <laughs> mic in front of you. Yeah. I mean, it just proves that you're going from one thing to the next, keeping things fresh. Do you enjoy, I mean, I'm sure you do, you know, being around the team for an entire season, uh, getting to build those relationships, getting to know the guys and just, you know, you know, gelling as a unit, you know, you guys uh, on the media side, as well as the team, you know, as opposed to, you know, like calling UC Irvine games or, you know, being like a network guy, you know, coming in for a few games here and there as freelance, you know, like do you enjoy the team aspect more than, you know, the network side. I do. Um, not to say that I wouldn't be interested in, in doing network stuff. It's great to do that. But when you're doing stuff with the team, you genuinely feel a part of it. Like for with UC Irvine in particular, I, I, I travel with the team, but the, the arrangements are, are different at yeah. mid-major college basketball level than they are at major league baseball level. At, you know, in major league baseball, you're really tight with all the other broadcasters and you have relationships with all the players and, and that's outstanding. I love that. But I think there's also a level of respect you have to have to not infringe too much on getting too close to the players and that kind of thing. I think that there is a line that exists there. That's why I don't like going in the clubhouse um, I like being on the field for batting practice and, and having conversations there, but I don't like going in the clubhouse. I don't, that's not my space. I'm not comfortable there. That's the player's space. Uh, but like with UC Irvine, we fly on, on charter flights together. We have meals together. We're in the same charter bus together. Um, you're staying in, in a lot of, you have roommates at these hotels and you're just kind of stuck together a little bit more and not being able to travel with the team this year. I, I travel, but I'm on my own. I have to do everything separate from everybody else because I'm not tier one as one of the players or coaches. So that's something that I've missed the most because I love like, like when Irvine went and won a game in the NCAA tournament, I, I had a, I had a connection with every player, all the players, families, the mom and dad and, and sister and brother and, and everybody that was hanging out there, grandma and grandpa come to games. You get to know everybody because of that, so then when you go to a place that's as special as the NCAA tournament and you're in the hotel and the hotel is really just you and your people, the NCAA takes care of that, and it's just an insane experience, you, you, you truly feel like you're a part of a family. As someone that grew up in athletics and always being in sports, I love being part of a team. In broadcasting, sometimes you don't always get that team feel, but when you are with a group like that, and you can be part of that family, that, that's special. So for me, that, that hits a lot closer um, than anything else. And yeah, you, you develop a little bit of a rooting interest. Obviously, you want to oh, yeah. see him uh, do well. I, I don't, you know, I try not to let that show too much on the broadcast, but of course you want him to, to do well because you feel like you're a part of it too. And it just makes everything uh, a lot better. And I think fans can see that. I, I think fans can see when someone is genuinely invested and uh, because, because the fans obviously are, are so genuinely invested. So it's, oh, yeah. it's pretty fun. 
So how quickly did you realize, you know, like you were talking about, you know, finding that fine line of, you know, being a broadcaster, but again, like keeping it to a point where you aren't like totally bashing your players, but you know, there's some times where you kind of, you have no choice. You can't sugarcoat some stuff, you know, when someone's hitting 135 or they're in like an 0 for 13 slump. Um, have you, did you learn that early on where there's some mistakes you made early on or was it just kind of like, okay, you had the instinct to know, like, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I don't know that there's a specific example, but I also have learned the players are very aware when they struggle, you know, nobody is more aware than they are. And I also feel like when you are able to develop a relationship with somebody, um, when you're, when, when that relationship is real, I think you can say something critical to do your job well. And if you do it with respect and you don't just trash somebody, then I think the player can respect that, you know, you're strong enough and confident enough in what you do to where you're able to have that take and have that opinion and be able to lay it out. Now, I think it's different when you are completely unfair. And sometimes you could be totally fair and the player doesn't see it that way. So that absolutely can happen. But I think when there's not a relationship there, and you just sit back and throw pot shots, I think that's what really drives a lot of athletes crazy. I, I think that's why there's a lot of players that will see somebody on TV say something about them that they've never seen in their life in person before. And you're like, well, why are they saying that? I think when there's a relationship, you get to know each other at least to a level of having respect. I'm not saying you got to be best friends with anybody. In fact, it's probably in the best interest to not be best friends with everybody that, that you're covering. But to be able to have a relationship and, you know, if you, can be, if you can be unbiased and do your job well that way, but also having, being able to treat these people like, like people and have that respect, I think that, that that's the fine line. It, it, it's taken me a few years to understand that, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm now at the point where, like, the guys that I know better, I almost feel a little easier being slightly more critical towards them because I, I feel confident in my ability to do so with respect. And I think that you kind of earn trust and do those kind of things. And, and that all mostly just comes with time. And you talk about, you know, the importance of building relationships there, you know, like if, if you have to bash them, like at least you have a relationship with the guy to where they're like, yeah, like I, I deserve that. That must've been so difficult this year with like new roster guys. They really couldn't get to interact with because you weren't at the ballpark. If you were, you know, you weren't allowed. It was like the, you what, like one tier, two tier, three tier, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to interact with guys, you know, face to face in person. Everything was over zoom. Yeah. And sometimes you, you kind of will, will know things behind the scenes. And then if someone struggles, maybe because you know something that doesn't need to get out there, you might not say anything and just kind of let it go. This year did not allow for any of that. Maybe it's better, maybe it's worse. But for me, I felt like my job was way more difficult to understand what was going on because I think there's a lot of conversations that can happen off record to help be able to formulate um, the reality in a way that is acceptable on record. I think that that is important and you didn't get any of that. With everything being on Zoom, there is just a level of distrust, I think, on Zoom because... You know, we're ta- Jack, we're talking on camera right now. There could be somebody else on the other side of the camera that I don't see that could be listening to everything we're saying. And when you're not face-to-face, there's just it, it's a lot harder to be able to develop that trust. And there's a lot you can get on Zoom. And I give the Angels a ton of credit. We had, on Angels Recap, my show uh, after each and every Angels game, uh, we had more player guests. And fans got to hear from players more this year than ever before. 
it just made my job tougher right. because I didn't get to have the private one-on-one conversations to be able to, to put my show together in maybe a different way and be able to explain certain situations. A lot of times with what I do after games, you know, the angels in 2019 was a 90 loss season. When you're coming off the air after, you know, a year where you're not competitive and you're not in the playoffs and you're really struggling to try to explain what's going on in a way that is honest in a way that is truthful and respectful, both to the players, the management, and to the fans. Um, well, also, I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm a pretty optimistic guy in maintaining that view. Um, I, I try to bring that across on the radio, but that can be really tough in, in, in a year like that. So when you're able to learn some things about players and the behind-the-scenes stories, that makes things a little bit easier. In 2020, this the landscape didn't allow for that. So that's one of the biggest things that I hope – uh, we're able to get back to as soon as possible. Um, more, more than anything else, fans need to be at the stadium. That, that's number right. one. Uh, but selfishly, to be able to have those, those connections, uh, that, that needs to happen soon. Well, it's going to be interesting on the media side, you know, because, again, what, 10 months ago when this pandemic started, I can't believe it's already almost been a year yeah. since we started this. But, you know, 10 months ago, like, I didn't know how to use Zoom. Like, 90% of the people in the country didn't know how to use Zoom. But now looking at it, you know, 10 months later, it's very efficient. You know, you're able to communicate with people a, a lot more uh, efficiently and quickly than you would in person. Like people didn't need to be at the ballpark in order to get quick Q and A's with players before and after games or pre games and post games. But you do talk about, you know, that, that personal face-to-face interaction that is so much more, you know, personal when it, when it comes to building those relationships do you think that, you know, Zoom and the new technology that we have is going to play a big factor moving forward, even in a new normal world when everything gets back to normal? Because, again, there are a lot of positive aspects to it when it comes to the media. For sure. I mean, there are a lot of positive. There's positives and negatives to everything. And particularly with Zoom, like, it's so funny you bring that up. I remember we did a, we, we did a roundtable discussion with a couple of players, and Joe Madden was on it. And it was for a, a select handful of season ticket holders. And I remember how many like trial runs we had to do to get this right because nobody was really confident that the technology was going to work. And then of course it did. And now we're at the point where like for a Zoom meeting, just shoot me a text two minutes before I go on. I just click on it and it's up. It's good. And you you totally trust it. So uh, it's funny how that's evolved over the span of about 10 months. I I think Zoom is great for access because I think players are more comfortable uh, being in their setting, being where they're, it's kind of on their terms and, Right. Uh, you can control things that way. I think you can, you know, you can get more from players in that way. Um, I, I think it's going to allow opportunity for you know, people maybe to spend a little bit more time at home. And maybe you don't need to be at the ballpark four hours before a game and staying two hours after and all that comes uh, with that. I mean, it's a long day at the ballpark. Maybe that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. So, yeah, I, I think that for that sense. And also, I don't know, Jack, have you ever been part of a scrum down on the field to, to do like an interview oh, with yeah, somebody? Yeah, yeah. When you're sticking your mic in there and there's, you know, you know, 15 other outlets that are all trying to crowd around, that is, I, that's miserable. That is miserable. Yeah, I agree. So to be able to do that on Zoom, that's outstanding. But for me, like, with, with Mike Sosha, it was the best because, yes, it was very tough, especially when they played the Dodgers and you know, all the L.A. media and all the national media is there. And, and then there could be 40 people all trying to crowd around in, like, a three-foot space. Very not, not COVID-friendly at all. Um, but with Soch, I could pull him aside. And after the, after the scrum, we could have a brief 
you know, 90 second, two minute interaction that could help explain something that makes my whole show later that night. So as great as it would be to be able to have Zoom for the first part, that's the on record stuff, um, you don't get part two. So again, there's a pro and a con to everything. I, I like Zoom. I think Zoom's great um, as long as Zoom doesn't completely erase the ability to do things in person. That's the biggest fear with, with the brand new technology and everything that's been going on. Like I could totally see everything going 100% technology in the next five to 10 years. If you know, you let people take it that way. And I think it's okay if it's 90% technology, you know, as, as long as you never completely lose the human interaction, because in this business, I have learned like, Yes, it's a who you know. I think it's even another level deeper than that. It's who do you trust? And it's really hard to trust people and even harder to trust people online. And you have to have a pretty deep relationship to be able to have trust with somebody. So as long as things are going to be online exclusive, it's going to be hard to ever get to that trust. Um, It's not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be a lot tougher. And that's just something that I certainly am concerned about, even though, Absolutely. Zoom has made things a lot more convenient. And like I said before, our fans probably got a better experience this year than ever before because Zoom made things so convenient and we're able to do a lot more. So again, that is absolutely a positive. And, and at the end of the day, like that's probably the most important thing. Oh, 100%. And just to switch gears here, you're talking about trust. You know, you know, as an aspiring broadcaster coming through the ranks, you know, getting some early opportunities, whether it's, you know, spotting for Fox Sports, you know, starting your own thing, your own networks, uh, working for IBN Sports. Who are some of like your early on uh, mentors and, you know, your biggest influencers uh, growing up, you know, guys you look at and say like, oh, this this one person is why I'm here today or like helped mold me into the, the career that I've had thus far. Jack, we're going way back. Uh, bring up my spot, my spotting days. Yeah, that was for so Chris McGee uh, does pre, post, halftime for the Lakers on, on Spectrum Sports Net, and I think Gator is awesome. And you know, it's so funny. Like our styles are really different, but if you listen to our play-by-play, it probably sounds similar because when I'm like formulating my style and my approach, he was the guy that I was around all the time, and he couldn't have been better or nicer or, or more significant to me when I'm cutting my teeth in this business and just trying to uh, climb up through my only regret, I mean, is that I wasn't able to be there for him more because I did it. You know, I spotted consistently for like two years and then I started getting my own games and I wanted to be at his games to help him out. Cause I loved being yeah. around the TV truck and the environment. And it was a situation where, no, I had to go get my own reps and they were both on Friday nights. And that part stuck. That was a really, those are hard decisions to have to make because I loved being around it so much, but he was so good about encouraging me knowing what I wanted to do in my career. Um, Jeter has been phenomenal. Um, You know, my time with Terry Smith in the last six years has been been outstanding because I think Terry is the consummate professional. And if you want to talk about a technically sound broadcast, this guy gets it. I mean, this guy, Terry is, I think, very underappreciated in Southern California uh, for, for calling about as technically proficient as a game as you can imagine. And he's got, a, he's got a great personality. And I think that him and Mark Langston, I think he brings a, a lot of great out of the Langer. And I, I think on the Angels Radio, I, I think that that is something that, that's very, very good. I think Terry's excellent. And, and, you know, Victor Rojas was so good to me. I got a great relationship with Mark Gubiza. Uh, Gubi has been awesome. But even down to 
you know, more recently, I feel like I've gotten a PhD in baseball because I'll talk with Mark Langston in between innings. I talk with Tim Salmon during the whole game because he'll do the pre and post game show on TV. But, you know, Fish is a talker. And sometimes during the game, there's nobody to talk to for Fish. So he talks to me and I am all for that. And uh, right. I, I've really gotten to, to learn a lot from that guy. So, yeah, those are those are just a handful of them. I mean, there are a lot of guys. Like when I was out in Palm Desert, I worked for the ABC affiliate out there for free. I was 18 years old. And they let me be on camera as an intern, which was the greatest thing. I got to do an interview with one of the coaches for their Friday night high school football show. That was amazing. Uh, Greg Lee, who's, who was at ABC seven for a while reporter now in the Bay area and Spencer Linton, who's like the guy at BYU. So there have been, a, there've been a handful of guys that have been really, really good to me. And being, you know, around those guys, the team on the, on the radio and TV side, like you're constantly getting to pick these guys' brains on, on a day-to-day basis, you know, during a normal season, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you mentioned Victor Rojas there. Victor Rojas has uh, been very kind to me as well, you know, looking over some of my reels, giving me some, you know, constructive criticism, which I'm, I've been grateful for. Now, obviously, he's going on to bigger and better things for himself. He's, he'll, he'll be down in Frisco being the, uh, the team president and GM there. Uh, what were some of, you know, you talked about all of those guys uh, getting to pick their brains, but what, what was it like being, you know, uh, having a relationship with Victor Rojas in that sense? Who was he, you know, behind the mic, who, uh, you know, as like yeah. the, the man, the family man, Victor Rojas? I, I think that one of the things that I learned from him, and I don't, you know, this isn't a take away from Terry either, because Terry's the same way. You learn how to be a professional. And it's one thing when you're spending time maybe in, in the minor leagues um, and just the job requirement is different. And in college basketball and doing that thing, it, it's, it's a different, when you're in the big leagues, there is something different, something special about that. You got to carry yourself in a way um, that is always a professional, always being right. alert, looking out for others, being welcoming. I always genuinely appreciated his professionalism. I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway from Victor. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever heard him call a game on radio, he is unbelievable on radio. Yeah. Uh, he filled in. There was, I, I think Terry, Terry was off and it was like a Fox national game and Victor slid in and, and said, Hey, I want to do a radio broadcast. And he was so good on the radio. He, he might've even been better on radio than TV. I mean, it was that good. Um, and I always appreciated the way he took care of those that have helped him, the way he's reached out uh, to others and connects with people that, that is incredibly admirable. So I, I got a lot of respect for Victor for that. There's no doubt. I mean, it's definitely inspiring as well. Like you mentioned, like I think his first uh, broadcast gig was with the D-backs and he had to do radio for like, it was like 163 game season, I think, mm-hmm. in the regular season before he, uh, you know, switched over to TV. Did do you prefer uh, TV over radio? Because again, like they're two completely different entities almost. I, I do. I do prefer TV. I, I love radio. I think the, the biggest difference in why I love TV is because of the family element that there is to that. Now, on radio, there's a family too. It's just a much tighter family. And there's a lot more responsibility on the play-by-play guy to carry the whole show. The the play-by-play guy in radio is everything. You want to set up your analyst to be well. um, But, and then, you know, obviously when you're dealing with with the producer and um, studio engineer, it's just, it's a very tight-knit group on radio. That's awesome. But there are so many different elements to the storytelling that you can do on TV. It, not only is it better reach, I just think that there is more opportunity to tell a better story with pictures. And that's what television is. And I think of myself, I love to be a great point guard. Yes, I, I am very happy to score 40 points a night. 
but I'm happier getting 20 assists tonight and setting up an analyst to be the star. I, I think that's how TV works. I think in TV, your TV broadcast is only going to be as good as your analyst because that, that really is, I, I think, where fans get the most. And if you have a, a funny, dynamic, interesting, entertaining, intelligent analyst, and the Angels have a great one in Mark Ubisoft. They really do. He, he checks all of those boxes. When you have somebody like that, if you, as a play-by-play guy, you get an opportunity to set that guy up and make that guy a star, man, you are doing your job really well. And that's kind of would be my approach. And that's just kind of the way that I see how television play-by-play works. You're almost like a field general that's, that's controlling a lot of different things that are going on, making sure that you're telling the right story that might not necessarily be with explaining that story. It can be just setting up different situations. And that's what I love about television is the intricacy of that. Radio is great too, because it, 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 I love both. I mean, you can probably tell. I, I love both because you, get, you can get so detailed and so descriptive on radio. Absolutely love that. But, but yeah, I guess to answer your question, I guess I, I do love TV more than radio. Um, but man, oh man, it's like, it, it's one A and one B. I, I genuinely love both. Yeah, and a lot of students like wanting to get into broadcasting, uh, you know, me especially like now realizing how different uh, those two entities are because like you said, radio, you can be a lot more detailed. You have to be a lot more detailed. Mm-hmm. It's like almost mandatory at that point, constantly reiterating the score, letting people know what's going on because, you know, they're blind listening to it on the radio in their cars and their homes. We're on TV, you know, the canvas is kind of painted. They could see the pictures. They could see what's going on. So you could be a little bit more relaxed and to your point, you know, set up the analyst, someone who's been in those situations before, someone who like knows what, uh, what's going on down on the field. I mean, that, that yeah. you, you explain that perfectly. Well, I, thank I, you. I, <laughs> well, and the prep, the prep is really different too. Like that's the, yeah. like, like that's the one negative I think to radio is because you're so busy explaining what's happening Sometimes it's harder to get into a story and get in depth and really break down the why as to something that's happening. In TV, you can explain something in five words that could take you five sentences on radio and then be able to tell a story to really go along with that and enhance what the viewer is seeing. That, that's that's that, the next level. That's what I love about TV because you get the chance to do that. And, and radio... You can, but you, you just can't ever quite get in depth because there's always something happening and, and that takes priority over the, the next step. That, so that's, that's the one downside for me. Yeah. So what are the different types of prep styles when it comes to TV and radio? Obviously, you got all of your charts, all of you know, the roster. and like What exactly is different uh, about it when prepping for TV as opposed to radio? TV is a lot more time in background, in story, in making connections, and understanding who a person is, um, understanding the context of everything. I mean, I, I, I guess that's the same. In radio and TV, both in play-by-play, you want to make sure that every play is understood in the context of the game, which is a part of the context of the season. Um, and, and when you can lose some of that, it's, it's not like, you know, I, I think of it like it, it's, it's not Seinfeld where you can just turn on any episode and watch it for one. And then you can, you know, it doesn't matter where the last one ended or the next one begins. Whereas I'm like, I'm a big fan of Yellowstone. I love that show, I, I, but you couldn't just pick up, you know, season three, episode four and just enjoy it. You, you would have to know what happened all the way through right. to get to that point. And I think that 
when you're, when you're prepping in both sides, you have to be able to explain that. I think probably more so in TV than even in radio because radio is so what's happening right now. What is the score? What are the nuts and bolts? So my, my prep for radio, honestly, it's probably half of what I do for TV. I mean, you can prep for radio, I, I think, just because you're not quite going as in, in detail. And also in TV, if you get a clunker, you are expected to make this thing interesting. Okay. And that is the role. You, you better make this thing good. So you better have background. You better know what's going on with all the players. You better know a story about the coach or maybe a story from your, your analyst career and making those connections and those kind of things. Maybe you get into really depth as to why a certain rule is this way. There's just a million different avenues to go. So you had to be prepared for all of those avenues because it might be really important. And then it might not be. I mean, you, I've had, I, I'm telling you, I've had stories on radio. I've had ready to go for like four games and I don't get them in just because I've gotten good games. So I just right. you wait for that blowout and then you have a great story to tell. So um, I think there's less of that time uh, on TV or excuse me, on radio than there is on TV, but you got to be prepared for it all. And, and my, my prep for TV is, is a lot more in depth. I mean, that's probably, the, you know, the biggest uh, thing that can expose you as a broadcaster, you know, like that 11 to two game in the fourth inning yeah. when you literally have to, you know, create that storytelling aspect. Like that's, that's going to prove whether or not you prepared as a broadcaster. Yeah. Well, and, and I also think in, in that 11 to two game, I, I think what people want, I think people want funny. I, I think people want to laugh and, and there's so like sports are taken so seriously and they should be, it's a very serious business and, and competition is that, but I think it's okay to loosen up and laugh a little bit. And when you're in a stinker and it's 11 to two, I think you can go have some fun. And I, <laughs> I don't think I'm a very funny person, but I also think I have a great appreciation for humor and I love being able to set up a funny person. So you put me with a funny analyst, I'm going to have the time of my life uh, because that's just the way it goes. And I, I love the chance to do that kind of stuff uh, because that's what people want. People want to be entertained. And, and again, it's, it's, it's being a field general. And, and if that's, sometimes I, some of the funniest moments I've ever had uh, broadcasting have been just a camera shot at the crowd and nothing even needs to be said. It's just hysterical the way something is. And, you know, when you're in a, a blowout game and, you know, somebody's asleep and, you know, you're trying to wake them up. Like, that's really funny. I get that. that I, there's nothing I can say that, that's going to top that. So um, yeah, there's, there's elements to it for sure. But I, I think that if you can, if you can laugh and learn, in a broadcast, I think you have to be able to bring both. And I think you have to bring both every single night. Oh, and I think that was, you know, perfectly personified with Victor and Gooby. They, they had a great, you know, chemistry for, you know, a decade mm -hmm. that they were together. I grew up with Michael Kay and Paul O'Neill. They were constantly, you know, busting each other's balls on, on yeah. broadcast. I mean, having, you know, like that, like you said, that appreciation for humor, not everybody's, you know, a comedian, but at the same time to have that appreciation for humor, like that's, what's going to bring out like the best, in both of you, at least, you know, like your real personalities yeah. when you were, you know, starting out and kind of discovering your own voice, how many different things did you, you know, like take into consideration when discovering your own voice, like taking different interests that you have creating like different uh, sayings or whatever, when calling a game, trying to make it interesting, how, how many things from like the outside sports world did you take and bring it into your broadcast? You know, it's funny. I mentioned I, I loved Chick Hearn growing up, but he was all about the catchphrases. Um, I've never really been a catchphrase guy. I enjoy a big moment and, and whatever comes to mind. I don't really prep those out in my head. Um, I, I probably have thought about them before, but I've ne they've never worked for me. I think one thing that I tried doing a lot when I was younger 
you say find your voice. I wanted to like literally find my voice. I was very concerned with how I sounded. And part of that probably was being 18 and wanting to sound like I was older and, and, and would be taken with respect. What I learned was that the more that I tried to sound like a broadcaster, the worse I sounded. Just talk, just be, be yourself. That, that is the truest thing. The more I, I concerned myself less with how I actually sounded and what I was saying is probably the biggest thing for me. That was number one. Number two was, and maybe this was an insecurity when you're younger and you don't really know, you almost kind of feel like you got to prove to everybody hey, I know baseball. I know what I'm talking about. See, look at this stat. Look at these numbers. You, and like, you're constantly trying to prove it to the audience. I think that most fans probably realize that if you're in a position to be on the air in that spot, I think that there is a level of understanding, hey, this guy probably knows what he talks about or what he's talking about. And if he doesn't, I think the better role would be to set up an analyst who you know is you know, a former player that, that's got that inherent um, you know, understanding built in. Once I realized I didn't have to prove that I knew the game and I could just lighten up and just enjoy. And, and I also wanted to, I wanted to prove like, Hey, look how much homework I did. Look at this background that I did. I, you got to drop that because it's important to do the work. And there are times when you really need it, but when you start forcing things in, that's a problem. Let the game come to you is what I, I heard it when I was young. I didn't understand it till recently. I would even say in the last two years, I've understood that in a much deeper level. Um, and, and that comes with reps. That comes with experience. That, that's, that you, I, you, you can hear me saying these things right now, and you can try to take it into your own game and be thinking about all this, and it's kind of like a golf shot. When you got too much going on in your head, you can't get it right. You, you chunk the ball, a slice hook, whatever. It, it's a disaster. But when you can under, just get the confidence of knowing who you are, understanding that, hey, I'm in this spot because I know I can do this, then, all right, just do the game. And, uh, and you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Just do it. And I think people can understand and appreciate if you're good. I think talent rises through. So that would be probably my biggest advice. And that's something that has taken me a long time to understand. Oh, yeah. Fakeness gets exposed quickly. And I think a lot of young broadcasters realize it. Like you said, to your credit, you know, like trying uh, to be something you're not in a sense, you mm -hmm. know, like trying to prove to everybody like, oh, I can do this, you know, like just, yeah. you know, let it flow. Uh, let, let that passion shine through in a sense. Do you do you ever look back at uh, some of your original tapes and your, your reels and think like, man, what the hell was I thinking? <sighs> yes. <laughs> and I had to do it recently, too. And that was not fun. Um, there's times where you're like, why did I say that? Why did I do this? But I also think that's a really good thing because that's a sign of growth. I think that everybody should be really uncomfortable watching their old stuff. Uh, not, don't be embarrassed by it. But if, if, if you think, oh my gosh, I'm, this is terrible. It's because you're advanced now and getting better. And, and that's one thing that I hope that 40 years from now, I'm still talking about how I did a better job this year than I did the year before. I hope that, I hope that when I'm 65, I don't like how my tape sounded at 55. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the reality. You want to continue to improve constantly. You're always getting better. Right? And I think that that's just a life thing. It's, you're, there are no finished products. At least there shouldn't be. And if you ever are feeling like you're a finished product, you probably should go do something else. Um, that's, that, that's just the reality for everything. So yeah, for sure. I, I think that 
Watching the old tapes are absolutely painful. Um, I remember I did a story when I was a freshman in college. Everybody loved it. They all said, oh, this is the greatest story. Wow, you're amazing. I look back at it now going, oh my gosh, how did I even get a passing grade on this? It was horrible. How did that ever slip through the cracks? I, and I question all their opinions because they clearly don't know what they're talking about. If they thought that was good. Um, but anyway, yes, yes, it, it can be hard to do. But you, it's an important step. You should do it. I mean, when you're going up through the ranks, like back, like when you started in high school, you're one of the only guys doing it. So like they look at it and they're like, this is great. But, you know, like yeah. you're you're a, a small fish in a small pond in a sense. Like once yeah. you actually get out into the real world and actually, you know, build those relationships with other people that want to do it, and you realize how many people want to do it. Like we have ASU right down the road from our school. They have <laughs> over, you know, 600 kids at Walter Cronkite all competing for, you know, on on air time. So you, you kind of realize, okay, like I have to evolve quick, but at the same time, like, like you said, like do you, uh, you're trying to constantly evolve as a broadcaster or do you feel like once you get into a good rhythm, like you can kind of hit cruise control and like, this is my voice. This is what I'm going to do moving forward. Yeah. Constantly evolving. And, and I think that, I mean, to a certain extent, you are who you are. Like I feel really proud that I've gotten, I feel like in the last probably three years, I feel like when I'm on the air, you pretty much know what you're going to get. And I could have a game that I think is, oh man, I was really great in that game. Yeah. And I probably wasn't as good as what I thought I was. And then I've had games, oh man, I stunk. What was the matter with me today? I listened to it back, wasn't quite as bad as what I thought. Right. And, and when you can get to a point where you can be consistent, that's really good. But when that bar is continuing to be raised, and not on a day-to-day -day level, not even on a week-to-week -week level, when you can look at a month-to-month -month or a year-to-year -year where you're seeing growth, seeing progress. And there is such a thing, by the way, as going into broadcaster slumps. I felt it. I mean, that you, you know, you get into – you can go into a slump. You can have like three or four games, excuse me, in a row where you don't feel great. And it, the, the audience probably doesn't know, but you know. Um, I, I, have, I have felt that for sure. But you just continue uh, to, to make those slumps fewer and further between and, and less noticeable, I think, to, to the audience in, in constantly learning and working on new things. Um, the, the, more you, the more you learn in anything, the better chance you're going to have to succeed. I, I want, I'm, a, I'm a broadcasting student and will be for the rest of my life. That, that's the way I see it. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I think... Anybody in any business, whether you're working in sports, you're working in film, music, business, whatever, like everybody goes through slumps in their own personal mm -hmm. ways. Uh, you know, and you, like you said, like sometimes you have an off night and you, maybe there's a few blunders in there. Did you ever have any like really bad broadcast blunders that stood out to you? Like when it just came to like really bad verbiage, like for example, like last year or two years ago, we, we had a softball game and I said, sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt. And it was just like <laughs> yeah. a simple, a simple verbiage thing, but like mm -hmm. to the audience listening, they're like, he just said blunt on the air. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, that really stunk. But it also happened to be 420 day. So I got, I kind of you know, got, you got, you got away with it and you, and it, nobody's perfect. Right. When, when, and that's, that's another thing that I learned too. Going back to a question you asked a few minutes ago, when you're trying to be perfect, oh my gosh, what an impossible standard. You're miserable when you're trying to hold up to the standard of being perfect. I, I think we all make mistakes and the greats make fewer. Look, I, I, I'm a huge Jim Nance fan. I'm a huge Al Michaels, like the best, the best buck. I listen to these guys all the time and they're really good. They hardly ever make mistakes, but they're not perfect. They make mistakes too. I, you know, I, and you don't blow them up for it. Um, you know, like, you know, you said that and it probably would, if that was on a national broadcast, that's going to be on Twitter and for 24 hours, it's going to be pretty funny, but it's also how you handle that. I think that 
when I was early in my career, had I made a mistake like that, I would have beat myself up over it and it would be hard to shake. If you can just kind of laugh it off and move on, I think people are pretty forgiving. I, I think that, I think charisma can outweigh a mistake like that. You don't want to be doing it every night. That, 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 it's a problem when it becomes routine. But the occasional mistake like that, I, I think most people are pretty forgiving. Oh, yeah, for the most part. And then you guys, you know, at, at the stage that you guys are doing it, when you make a mistake like that, you mentioned, like, Twitter. You know, like, the cesspool yeah. that is social media. You're constantly being bombarded by people who really don't know the business at all. Like, mm-hmm. you make one mistake, and they're like, oh, I could do this. It's like, you, you really can Like, early on in your career, did you ever have, you know, people kind of attack you on Twitter, and you got to think, like, oh, I got to turn this off? Or were there any that kind of got <laughs> under your skin? Um. Well, my show is pretty Twitter-based that yeah. I do after games where you're taking fan comments and reacting to them. And I always, I, I feel like a lot of times when the Angels lose, I feel like I took the loss because it gets really personal and attacks on me. Um, not, you know, <laughs> it, you, you develop an appreciation for people caring. I, I think that's better than apathy. I think when people stop caring, that's when I get concerned. If people want to be mean and nasty and go after me, whatever, I kind of can laugh it off. There have been times it's been bothersome. There's no doubt there were times when it's been bothersome. But for the most part, um, you, you, have to, you have to let it off. It can drive you crazy. And like anything else, you don't go on message boards, don't go on Twitter, uh, there's, don't read comments and, and articles. But, you know, sometimes you're tempted to go that way. I just, you know, my advice that I don't listen to is that you shouldn't do that because it can be, it can be problematic if you go that way. But when you start taking that seriously, that's the other issue. Like, right. so Twitter might be 2% of the people, like, people, like someone that's going to respond on Twitter or call into a radio show, that's like less than 1% of the people that are actually listening. So you can make 99% of them happy. But if the 1% is upset about it, you only think about the percent that you're hearing from, whereas there could be, a, you know, a, a giant silent group out there that's not saying a thing. So that, that's where things can be pretty misleading. Oh, 100%. And I feel like the, the majority of people that are attacking you on Twitter, again, think that they could do it because they think it's an easy job or they're, you know, just really insecure in a sense, I feel like. Yeah, but yeah, maybe, but I, I also think that it's like, there are the hyper passionate that are out there too. And yeah. that's also a part of it. Like, I like that. I like, I like the interaction. And that's one thing on, on my show. I feel like I try not to, I, I try not to read tweets and connect with people that maybe will just hide behind a username I mean, if you're going to put your name out there and stand behind something and have a genuine conversation, come at me. Like, I, like right. I am all for that. Let's have that dialogue. Let's have it out. But own it. Like, be who you are. Don't hide away behind some kind of a cover name. Um, and, and, and we have no idea who you are. But if you show your face and you show your name and you're saying, hey, let's have this conversation. I didn't like that you said this. And here's why. I love that. That, that. Then you get an opportunity to explain, too. That's the other side of it. Sometimes the mean or a comment is the better the opportunity there is to turn their opinion around or turn some others around. So I, I see that as an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, th- those are kind of the, the positive sides that you were alluding to, to social media. Again, like if you are able to show your face, able to back the context that you kind of haven't are able to have that dialogue with something that that's one thing, but again, like most of it just, you know, isn't great, but you do talk yeah. about, you know, um, you know, interacting with fans on your show. Like it's very Twitter, you know, basis when it comes to interacting with your listeners and your fans. Uh, do you personally have any like big, uh, uh, I don't want to say stories or moments that you've covered over the past six years since joining the angels organization, like one specific story that, you know, like trumps the rest 
Because again, like, you know, you look at those early 2000s Angels teams with the Vladdy Guerreros and like the Torrey Hunters and the Jared Weavers, like all those great teams, you know, over the past decade, it really hasn't been that same Angels baseball mentality. So like, what, what do you, what would you say was your most favorite story over the past six years to cover? When it comes to baseball, I'm a hopeless romantic. I I love like the Ken Burns baseball documentary. Just thinking of just, just the romanticism that's in baseball is unmatched. There are three moments that jump out dramatically for me. And one of them was Albert Pujols hitting a 600th home run. Part of it was because I was on the field to do an interview with him as he was walking into the clubhouse Yeah. Um, after hitting that home run after the game. That I will have that with me forever because it was in that moment where I think everybody took a second to appreciate you're watching one of, if not the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. That That is who Albert is. Has he had a career with the Angels that people thought? No. But he has been an incredible, incredible player. One of the best of all time. So that's number one. Um, well, not in any, I guess I shouldn't say in any order. Mike Sosha retiring his last season, his last game. And it ends on a walk-off home run from Taylor Ward of all people. Uh, That was, that was incredibly emotional because I felt like Sosha was a mentor to me. Sosha was so tough on me. My first year as a reporter, if I said, if I asked a question that he didn't think was a good question, he had no problem letting me know, but that made me such a better broadcaster because I would think all day, the next day, I, you know, the scrums at three 45. Well, I got up that morning and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to say to Sosha? I wanted to prove to him that I knew what I'm doing and I wasn't going to say something stupid. So Sosha made me better for that. Um, so I had, and, and after that first year, our relationship was, was incredible. I love that man. But, but the, the one that takes the cake for everything was when Taylor Cole and Felix Pena threw a combined no hitter right. in the first home game after the passing of Tyler Skaggs, um, the players all took their jerseys off and laid them on the mound that I, you know, Jack, I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about that moment and what it meant there. I, I was on the field. Um, after the, the, the single most improbable evening uh, I've ever witnessed. I mean, there were so many things going on in that game. I mean, so for Trout hitting a 454-foot home run, um, so many things. And, and, and you knew he would. It was in the first at-bat, and you just knew he was going to hit a home run that game. But I was in the middle of an interview with Dustin Garno, Cal State Fullerton Products, who had just caught the no-hitter. And I was in the middle of asking my first question, and I could see out of the corner of my eye, the players start to walk to the mound and, and I'm kind of tethered over by the, uh, the angels dugout and he's away from everybody and probably wasn't the best radio, but in the middle of my question, I just stopped and I said, I'm sorry, Dustin, you need to go be a part of this. Come back. We'll finish this later. And he thanked me and I threw it back to the booth where Terry Smith described the action. A few minutes went by, went back and we did the interview. Um, again, I don't know if that was the best radio, but that was the right human thing to do oh, yeah. in that moment. And I mean, he that, felt that. Oh my God. And, I mean, yeah. And again, it's like God's presence was there that night. You were yeah. saying like he hits a 454 foot home run. Like how many yeah. different numbers kind of like aligned with what, you know, there were, there were a lot, there, there were like probably six or seven. I, I, there, there were just so many different things that I, like somebody's win, like like the win loss record for somebody was like four and five. I think was one. They were like I, I, I should have written them down. They've, they've escaped me now. But the four hundred fifty four foot home run, forty five front runs of back. I mean, 
you can't write. If you if you sent that to a Hollywood director, they would throw it out and say it's not realistic enough. That that's how crazy that night was. I mean, it was almost fairy tale. And you're right. Like from a radio perspective, you know, like telling them to like go join his teammates, uh, people listening is like, hmm, what just happened? But from a yeah. human standpoint, from a morality standpoint, like kudos to you for kind yeah. of, you know, seeing that in the back of your head and thinking like, yeah, this is where he needs to be right now. <laughs> I just stopped caring what made good radio right yeah. there. You, and, and I think, I actually, I think somebody that's listening to that, if I'm in the middle, if I'm going to do something that's that odd or obscure, I think they must be realizing, hey, something pretty crazy must be happening right now. Um, and yeah, it just, but, but there are certain moments, it, it, you know, if somebody wanted to criticize me for, for that, I, you know, I, I'd be open to it. I, Cause I, I agree that that was not technically sound what I did in that moment. But I do think that there is an element of understanding what you have to do as a human being. And that is what matters more than anything else. People don't want, people don't care about, you know, me as a broadcaster, I think people care about the person. I, I think that that's genuinely um, what people want. And you talk about like your question about Victor for me, you didn't want it. You didn't care what I had to say about how Victor called the game. You wanted to know what he was like as a human being. And, and of course, like that, that makes sense. Um, and I think when, when people can understand that, um, I think they have a chance to, you know, take more risks and be more human. And, and that can help in many, many different ways. Was there, you know, not much criticism after that? Because again, everybody's there. Everybody knows what's going on, especially. Yeah, I don't think I don't even think anybody noticed. I, I, I don't. I, I I didn't hear I didn't hear a thing about it. It's just that that will always because you're so conflicted. I just remember in the moment being like, I I have a job. This is the job I have to do. But I just remember thinking, I I cannot do this to this guy right now. Um, and he was appreciative. Um, oh yeah. But, but that moment was, and you, but you, you also didn't like, like looking back on it, it's easy to say, well, of course, like that was a great moment. Well, you didn't really know what the moment was. I was, again, it was out of the corner of my eye. I just, I could see something developing and that was uh, what was so unique about that. So uh, that, just a little peek behind the curtain, but that, oh, man, that I, unbelievable. I mean, moments like that, like having that uh, instinct, that, that inner thought, like telling you like, okay, this is what needs to happen now. Like this wasn't in the books. This wasn't in the scripts to do but yeah. it created a much more broader and memorable moment for uh, everybody on the team, let alone the guy that you were interviewing, mm -hmm. uh, which at the end of the day creates, you know, a much more positive impact on everybody that's involved. And, and you yeah. talked about, you know, like really not, like nobody said anything, like there was no criticism behind it, but you were talking about Mike Socia, um, you know, you know, like if he thought you weren't asking or if he thought he wasn't, you know, you weren't living up to your best potential and asking some yeah. questions. He was going to call you out on it from someone that you you've trusted throughout your life, whether it was mentors, influencers, guys you work with now, what was the biggest piece of constructive criticism that you got from someone that you trusted that you took and went like, okay, that's stung, but he's probably right. And I need to work on that. Um, so I went to a really good coach. His name is Lou Riggs uh, passed away. Uh, probably five years ago now, uh, but Lou, uh, maybe more than that. Lou, Lou was, he had everybody, all of the biggest yeah. names. And I remember, uh, do, do, do you know the name Lou Riggs? Do you know who he yeah. is? Okay. So he, very famous in the broadcasting world. And I saw him probably three or four times. And I remember going to his house and we're watching my tape. And I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm thinking, oh man, I, I, I know what I'm doing play-by-play -play wise. I'm, I'm feeling really confident. Oh man, I got this great coach now. I'm, I'm like set up. I'm going to be great. Probably 20. Um, and he ripped me apart so bad. I literally was in tears. 
um, driving home. Like I was like, my life is over. This is the, I, I can't do this. I stink. What am I, I'm wasting my life trying to be a broadcaster. I'll never be any good at it. Um, but it pushed me. And then I, I couldn't wait to set up another meeting with him and work on the things that he told me. And in, he was like, okay, better. All right. Well, then I wanted to set up another meeting. And I, I wanted so hard to prove to him to where even now I think to myself when I'm broadcasting a game, what would Lou think of this? And maybe that's a part of his legacy that so many broadcasters take with them because you want to do things technically proficient. And, and you know, that, that's, I've never, I mean, aside from like four times with Lou, have never really had formal play-by-play training. I don't know that there is formal play-by-play right. training. I think you just find your voice and you go about it. But if you want to, if you want to poke holes at my broadcast, it might not be technically sound in certain areas, but I think that it's going to be more entertaining. I think it's going to be more relaxed. And I think it's going to be a better listen is kind of just my approach to that. I try to approach it as what way, if I was a fan, what would I want to hear? Not necessarily if I'm trying to impress a broadcast coach. And that's another thing that's come with time to be able to understand that because I think that's what most people want to hear anyway. And, you know, there are certain fundamentals that over time you, you develop and you get better and you, you get your nuts, you know, the nuts and bolts and you do those things uh, really well. But, but that's kind of an area where, where my style might be uh, a lot different than, than many of the other people that are coming through this because I think a lot of times you need to be able to stand out. I, I think that there is in play-by-play, for a lot of announcers, there seems to be like one voice that everybody's trying to find and a lot of people sound similar that's to me, that's a dangerous place. Maybe that's what people want to hear. I don't know, but that's not really what I like to hear. So I, I try to call a game for if I was watching at home, what would I want to hear um, a broadcaster be talking about or, or details. And when I'm watching old games back, that, that's the kind of stuff I, I listen to. Oh yeah. I mean, it's hard for a lot of people to, again, kind of like find their own voice. Cause again, you, you're growing up and you're listening, you know, to the Vince Scully's or the Michael K's, you know, like you want to be like them. So immediately when you go into it, you kind of not like mimic what they do, but like that's who you grew up listening to. So like, that's the way you think a broadcast works or whoever, you know, you're listening to. So again, you kind of like, but Jack, if if you or I, if you or I called the game, like Scully, people would say, what is, what is wrong with this guy? Exactly. Yeah. Like you can't just imitate somebody. Exactly. And and it, it, again, as you evolve over time, it's all about, you know, getting reps, getting the experience as the years and months move on, you sort of realize not only who you are as a broadcaster, but who you are as a human being. And that molds into uh, your voice in a sense, I feel like, when you're actually, you know, getting hands-on experience on a day-to-day basis and creating those memories and those, you know, thoughts in your head. It's like, okay, I can make my own voice. I could create my own style of broadcasting. It doesn't have to be what it was the first 50 to 100 years that it was before me. I could create something different. It might be harder, you know, breaking into the business that way, but like people want to see something different. If you're the exact same, like you're just going to, you're just not going to stand out. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, I hate gimmicky. I hate goofy. I, I, I'm not, that's just not for me. Um, I, I just, and you also have to understand who your audience is too. If you're doing a national broadcast versus um, a local broadcast in the Northeast, like if you're doing, if you're doing Phillies games, I mean, you better be confrontational. I mean, that's, that's like this, that's style. Like you better like New York, same way. Like you better be really tough on that. Um, if you're doing a game, you know, if, if you're doing an angels game, I think the angels fan base is, is more laid back. I, I think that that fan 
enjoys being entertained. I think that's a smart fan that understands baseball, but also understands the context of life outside of baseball because there's so much to do around here. I think that there's, there's an element to all of that. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing a Phillies game, I mean, it, a Phillies game feels probably life and death for, yeah. for that fan. I, I don't, I, you know, I haven't spent that much time there, so I don't really know, but that, that sports are perceived differently in every region. So I think you kind of have to understand who you're talking to when you're doing a game. Oh, I 100% agree. You know, uh, growing up, again, a Yankee fan, but I would watch Mets games and like Keith Hernandez, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, yeah. they would tear into the Mets if they weren't yeah. doing stuff right. And for the most part, throughout at least my childhood, the Mets have been one of the more relevant teams in baseball. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll change pretty soon. But they would tear into them to the point where you'd think like, are these guys even Mets broadcasters? Yeah. It, it, it was to a point where like, you're right. Like, it's kind of like, East coast Midwest mentality where like sports are like number one, almost to a lot of people We're like out West, like it's an option, but like you said, there's a lot more going on, you know, at least in like the LA orange County Anaheim area. Yeah. And and I actually don't think that that's too different than the the Arizona area. The the Arizona market, I think is pretty similar to the orange County market and and the orange County market is a little different than the LA market, which is different than the San Francisco market. I mean, it's all, every area has its little subtleties. So you got to be able to understand those uh, no question about that, but yeah, that's a bit, I, I, again, what it boils down to, yeah, you want to know who you're talking to and know what the audience is, but at the same time, it, it be, be honest, be who you are. If, if I would did, if I did sports talk radio in New York city, I would be run out in 10 seconds because I'm not going to be as confrontational as Mike and the mad dog who were yeah. so good for so long. I'm not going to go sit here and say, Oh, this guy's a bomb. He stinks. Hey, that's not me. I love that those guys did. I love listening to that. That I am so inter- like that's the greatest show of all time. And, oh, and yeah. Chris Russo has been so good to me. Um, so I I, lo- I I will love that show, but that it's just not. I, I, that's one that I can appreciate as a listener, as a fan. That there's no way I could ever host it. It's just it's just oh, yeah. different. Yeah. Do you appreciate those conversations that you have with Chris Russo though on MLB Network? And you know, love it. I love it and, because again, two totally different personalities. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know what though? Uh, Dog's a sweetheart. Like he's a he's a genuinely like really nice guy, and he has been like ridiculously good and ridiculously nice to me. I mean, he didn't. I mean, he didn't know who I was the first time I was on the show, and um, you know, then you know, in, in subsequent appearances, we'll talk during the commercial break, and he's just he's just a really good dude, and he's a legend. I mean, that's I, I there. That I enjoy being on high heat probably more than anything else, just because I really look forward to to the the pre-interview uh, conversation with with Chris Russo. I oh, yeah. I, I I love that. And you talk about you know building these relationships throughout your entire career. And this will be my last question. I don't want to take too much of your morning. I think I've taken over an hour already. Uh, but you know you're building all of these relationships. You obviously love what you do. You know whether it's play-by-play reporting, you know doing the podcast, interacting with players on a daily basis. You love what you do, and that's why you're still doing it after all of these years. At the same time, you know like just being a human being. Um, you know, going on a day-to-day basis, you know, there, there's struggles in life, that there, there's dark moments, you know, whatever. You know, how are you able to, you know, balance, you know, Trent Rush, the broadcaster, when, when they, there's also, you know, Trent Rush, the husband, the family man? How are you able to, I don't, don't want to say balance, because I never really mm-hmm. think that there's a true balance in life, but how are you able to maintain everything so that you are, you know, the number one thing in life, you know, you got to be happy at the end of, at the, end of the day. Yeah. Oh boy. 
That's a that's a tough question. It, it's, it's a tough question because it's it's it hits on so many different levels. I have the greatest, most loving, most beautiful wife, Emily. She's a nurse and and she works overnight, especially now in this COVID time and what she's had to deal with. I mean, she's had nights where she's like working in a tent now to take care of patients and. Um, you know, half the time there's a, a language barrier that she's having to deal with, but has to communicate, you know, hard news to people um, and, and try to keep their spirits. Or maybe they just got really tough news and she has to try to keep them motivated. Yeah. And that's work. That is, that is tough. Talking baseball. Like I can't ever say a bad day at work because there's nothing. Her best day at the hospital is a lot worse than, than my oh, worst yeah. day at the ballpark. So there's an element to that the hardest thing I've ever had to do, I think is not just, you know, ma- maintaining a marriage. Yes. Um, we bought a house together and put in, and, and I, I'm lucky. I live like eight minutes from the ballpark. It's the best, but you know, it was a fixer upper and I didn't know how to paint and do different things and, and maintaining the balance of what's, what's important. It's getting this project we're doing together. Um, and also, you know, okay, I got to make sure I'm done by two because I got to get to the ballpark, you know, by, by three o'clock. So I got to be, make sure I'm there and, and doing that. And, and it's long hours and it's hard, but that it, it, all of it goes into giving or having greater perspective. I, I think that if my perspective was only at the ballpark, there's no way I would be able to relate to people because, you know, when I'm, when, when the angels would go on the road, if I'm not traveling, I, I, I turned the game on my app and I, you know, I'd be painting a room and listening to Terry and Mark. I can't help but think a lot of people take in games the same way. It's not necessarily just sitting in your car anymore. You're doing housework or you're doing different things and, and taking in a game on radio in that way. So having that kind of perspective and understanding probably helps my career um, in, in a big way, but it's also, it's kind of a subconscious thing. Like I'm not worried about being a better bro. Oh, let me make sure that I go paint the, paint the guest room because it's going to help me be a bro- better broadcaster. Right. No, it's just, it's just life things that you learn and you grow up and you mature and do those things. And, you know, figuring out taxes and a mortgage and that whole process, it's like, it has opened my eyes to, I guess this is what you know, my parents did. And, 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 you know, so many other people can relate to that. I, I never understood before. So I, I think that just in life, there's a level of maturity that comes and, and sometimes it gets thrown at you quick and you have to grow up really fast. And it's, that's, that, that's real pressure, you know, making sure that you got enough to uh, enough in, in the bank account to make your mortgage payment that much. That, that's what stress and pressure is. And, and if you don't understand that, then you probably don't understand most of the people you're talking with on a given night. All right. And, and, you know, you being a fan of what you do as well, like you almost have to check, you know, Trent Rush, the broadcaster at the door. And then once you go inside, you're the family man. You got to take care of stuff. Like you said, when it comes to mortgage, paying the bills, you know, uh, supporting a family. So uh, do you you find that, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say like more stressful because, you know, it is family time. But is it is it almost the same? Yeah. That's life. There, there, you have your work life and your, your life life, and you try not to, to mix the two. In, in, in this business, it's so hard because I think you just, you know, it's, oh, oh look, it, it, it's Trent, Angel's broadcaster. I, that, when that's all that defines you, I, I think that can put even more stress at work and, and do all that. I think you have to have different things about you that, that just make who you are as a person. Uh, Jack, if, you, if you'll allow me just for a moment, what you are doing in this podcast, I think this is so good. And understanding things at, at a deeper level and the time you spend and the guests that you get. I, I am a huge fan of your show. I love it. 
Uh, the people that you've had on are awesome. So, and, and you really do ask great questions. Jack, you have a very, very bright career ahead of you. I, I know I, that. I personally. really appreciate that, man. You know, I mean, me personally, I, I think I have a long road to go, you know, only being a young kid, but yeah, like you said, like it's about experiences, you know, like I wouldn't be in the situation I am today. I wouldn't be as motivated as I am today without certain experiences, life experiences, not just, you know, in, you know, sports casting or, or what I want to do, you know, which is, I'm very grateful for everything. Like there have been some, you know, hard times that have molded me into who I am today, you know, like building up that, that, that passion and that potential to ask questions like this, because again, I, the, the last question I asked you, I find to be one of the more important questions in life because without that balance, without, you know, checking whether it's your ego or, you know, like your, your work at the door, like you're not going to be a very fulfilled, happy person at the end of the day. And I, I, and again, like a lot of people think you you should never be satisfied. I'm one of those kids that thinks that you can be satisfied at the end of the day, but continue to strive for more, you know, like you're allowed to be proud of the work that you put in. Jack, to have that kind of perspective at 22, you know what I would have killed to, ha- to understand things at that level at 22 years old? I mean, I barely get it now. I mean, it, 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 takes, uh, it takes a lot to, to really um, think of, of that. You know, I, I love, I, I love my, my family. I, I love my wife. I love my house. I love my dogs. Um, and I love baseball. And if I can make it all work, then I want to do it. And uh, oh, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it's understanding everything that comes into this. I think a lot of people get really tunnel vision on, okay, this is the job. This is my next step. And then I'm going to do this life doesn't work like that. Right. And it's also hard to keep that mentality over time. You know, like sometimes you might be cruising, things are going great and you got to have to remember like in the back of your head, it's not always going to be this way. You know, like tough times always come back. Like you always got to like be able to, you know, write certain things down, like keep a journal or something to like remind yourself uh, to keep a level head when things are going well, as well as when things are going really, really bad, you know, because, you know, you can get down in the dumps, but at the same time, when things are going really well, that's not great either. So, you know, having that balance is, I, I feel, is very key in, in order to have a very, not only successful career, successful personal life, but, you know, successful mental state. Because, again, like, especially this past year, there's been a ton of people that struggled with it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Jack, hey, let's get together. When, when I'm out in Tempe for spring training, let's get together because uh, hey. I, I really think you got real bright things ahead of you, man. Thank you so much. I actually worked for the Angels in Ballpark Ops at Tempe Diablo the past three years. So oh, I'm, nice. I'm definitely going to try and uh, make a few games this year. Again, we have cool. like 10 different sports going on at once on campus, so it's going to be tough for me to work. But I'm definitely going to try and uh, find some time to go to a few games, and I'll definitely reach out and, and see if we yeah. can hook up. Please do. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, man. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.